Just the women. and kingdoms will all pass away but there's something about that name introducing the keys to spiritual growth every christian desires to grow and to mature in his or her walk with christ this sermon which is the first of a series of sermons I'm going to do on Wednesday night, introduces the keys to spiritual growth. While searching this week for a story, I was introduced to a pastor who told this story about a counseling session that he had, and he called it, Man Lives in a Tree After a Fight with Wife for 50 Years. And so he goes on to tell his story. I suppose, he said, I was drawn to the story because of the first counseling assignment as a freshly installed associate pastor was to go and counsel a man who had been kicked out of his house by his wife. It was in the middle of the winter, and there was about two inches of snow on the ground, and I found the man in a tree in his backyard. So I climbed the tree and joined him in his treehouse. There we sat, cold and shivering, for my very first counseling session. But that's a story for another session, he says. It turns out that Gayadar Parida of India, who's now 83, had spent the last 50 years of his life in a treehouse. He had repeatedly turned down pleas by his wife and children to return home. Paradise's wife said, We quarreled over a tiny issue, that is why he left me and promised not to live with me and return home until his death. I tried a lot. I tried to force him to come back home, but he refused all the time. Paradise's strange home is a makeshift shed on a tree located about half a mile from his actual home. For many years, Peridot lived in a mango tree, but was forced to move after his, into a new tree after his old tree was destroyed by a storm. Now, one might wonder what, the world, uh, what in the world Gayadar hopes to accomplish by living in a treehouse. He claims that the unusual lifestyle has helped his spiritual growth and in overcoming tensions after estrangement with his wife. I don't think his process is working, do you? I really don't. But how does one grow spiritually? How is it that we do that? And that's the subject that's going to occupy our attention for the next few weeks. I think as we prepare to embark uh, on uh, campaigns uh, this year, while we seek pastor, while we um, look to do things in the church that progress the church, I want us to look at a larger picture Uh, and that is of grace in order to grow spiritually. With that in mind, let's read an exhortation from the Apostle Peter uh, in 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I think every Christian desires to grow in their walk with Christ, but our desire does not always match reality. It's almost like paradox. Uh, What we say we want and what we get may not be the same thing. I think also I'd like to look more closely at the word as we look at this idea of growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Today's message is introduction to the keys to that growth. 
and I'm going to look at them with you. There are the keys that will be behind me on the screen, five of them. The priority of spiritual growth, the observations about spiritual growth, the definition of spiritual growth, the master key to spiritual growth, and the progression of spiritual growth. With that in mind, let's take the first point, the priority of spiritual growth. First, we need to be aware of that priority. Spiritual growth is important in our lives, in the Christian's life, and I think it is throughout the Word of God. The idea is that there needs to be growth. Uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the idea is we need to be moving forward, we need to be developing and growing to what God wants for us. I think the Apostle Peter ended his practical letter, as we look at Peter, with that exhortation to grow. Again, Second Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That spiritual growth is essential, I think. Could you not find the switch for the fan? You were going to turn it on. Yeah, you're fanning, and I'm, I'm hot, and she was going to turn the light. But she got so caught up with what I was saying that she forgot she was going to turn the fan on. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robin. I think God commands us to mature spiritually. But I think we need to understand how that happens. We need to recognize that it, we need to make it a priority but we need to discover how that happens. I know I need to do that, but what do I need to do about that? That's what we're looking at. So I think some observations about spiritual growth. Uh, let's make these observations in A, B, C, D, things like that. Uh, it's important to understand, I think, several concepts that are maybe not the primary issue, spiritual growth, but the steps to get that. So A, it isn't necessarily related to time. I think people assume that if I'm older, I'm developed spiritually. That's not always true. Uh, time is not the factor. Uh, I think also giving people enough time, it, it, it doesn't work that way. I can say, okay, we've been at this for two years, five years, six years, whatever. But if a person does not develop, they just don't develop. And so we need to put into it what they need to make that next step, not assume that time makes it happen. So time isn't really related to that. Some people have been Christians for a long time and have grown very little spiritually. Others have been Christians for a very short time, and it amazes us how fast that they grow. Uh, so I don't think time is a factor. I believe it's your commitment to spiritual growth that makes the difference. It's the commitment you and I have, not the amount of time that's elapsed from our conversion. Uh, spiritual maturity cannot be measured by calendar. It's measured by commitment. B, it isn't necessarily related to knowledge. Spiritual growth isn't related to knowledge. Uh, I think about a show like The Big Bang Theory that has a, a Sheldon who has got a you know, secondary show on now. Um, and he is brilliant, but he has no social skills as long as he's been alive he's not been able to socialize with people around him. and what good does his knowledge do him in some moments not any at all it, it confounds what he has the issue is not the amount of knowledge that we have because the bible says knowledge can puff up 
1 Corinthians 8, 1, now about food and sacrifice to idol, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. I remember I, I, I refused to play trivial pursuits in the Bible game. There was a Bible game called Bible Trivial Pursuits. When, that, when those games came out and people came out with Bible Trivial Pursuits, I just wouldn't play it. First, I hated the idea that it was trivial. That just made me upset, so I didn't like that, so I refused to play it. Second was, it's not that I don't know the Bible. It's just, if you ever found anybody that knew more than you in the church, they just seemed to, you know, I know more than the preacher does. So it's like, I'm not, I'm not going down that road, okay? I'm just not going to do that. And there were a few people who had taught Sunday school for a number of years, and they were really good at it. And they, they remembered it, and that's wonderful. I have no problem with that. But if that's all I care about, how much knowledge I have, I miss the issue of spiritual growth. Knowledge can make you proud and actually retard spiritual growth. It can keep us from growing. Only when knowledge conforms us, as the Bible says, to the image of Christ do we grow spiritually. Just knowing about Jesus is not enough. We've quoted this verse a lot. But, you know, the, the demons know about Jesus. They, they probably know more about Jesus than we do. They were there in the beginning. But it doesn't do anything for them, and they don't grow. C, it isn't necessarily related to religious activity. I think third thing in this, this category of observations about spiritual growth is that it isn't necessarily related to your religious activity in the church or in Christianity. I think some people think that they have grown spiritually if they've served on a committee, if they've been uh, in the choir or a deacon, if they've been on, you know, some uh, reforming group in the church, and then that makes them, you know, somehow spiritually mature. They assume that they're busy. You and I both know when we look sometimes for people to fill committees, it's like, who's available? We hate to say that, but at some point, it's like we, we have a, a slot to fill, and maybe that person's not the most spiritually mature, but they need to develop. But they assume because they're on something, they must be spiritually mature. I think the Pharisees were very busy people. I get that picture in the New Testament. I look at them, and I see their image, and I see that, that that could be farther from the truth that they were spiritually mature. They were certainly puffed up, they're proud about themselves if we read the New Testament correctly. Certainly busy people. But Matthew 7, 22 through 23 says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I remind you that Judas went out with the disciples and apparently did everything that they did because there was never a point in the New Testament where they said everybody went out together and except Judas and everybody performed miracles except Judas everybody healed except Judas somehow this happened and I can't explain it other than it's what it says in the New Testament and I take this passage of scripture and it doesn't say that they didn't do these things it's just that they didn't know the Lord so we need to be careful to think that being busy doesn't result in salvation uh, just because you go through the baptistry a sinner doesn't mean you come out saved. You come out a wet sinner. And that keeps us, I think, alone from spiritual growth when we assume that activity saves us. D, it isn't necessarily related to prosperity. 
I don't think it's about how successful you may be. I think some people believe that because they have prospered, they have God's favor. You know, I've, I've got money, I've got position, I've got a house, I've got this. Things are going well in my life, so that must mean that God is blessing me. I would revert you to the Old Testament in Psalms where David goes, How come? And in the how come questions, how come evil people prosper, he asked God. So prosperity is not a sign of spiritual development. Uh, if they possess much, they think God has blessed them. But God may have blessed them, but it isn't necessarily an indication that they are spiritually mature. Maybe God just wants to use them for a purpose. He can do that. He's God. And maybe he wants to put that money there for a reason, so at some point it'll get where he wants it to go. I've seen it happen. Number three in our topics, a definition of spiritual growth. I think this helps us. Are we working? Okay, good. Everybody's looking around. Something's going on. Spiritual growth is not a mystical, sentimental, devotional, or psychological thing. It's not the result of some clever secret formula. You know, some groups, you know, have secret stuff that, you know, you're installed with and there's a back room and they tell you special words and that, you know, you belong to their organization. That's not what happens here. Spiritual growth is simply matching your practice with your position in Christ. That you recognize what I do relates to who I am in Jesus. I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I need to be saved. I recognize I need to grow. And I recognize it's only through Jesus that that happens. It's our position in Christ that is perfect. I have righteousness from God. I don't have righteousness that I make. Romans 117, for the, for the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You are complete in Christ, Second uh, or Colossians 2.10 tells us. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. You have all things pertaining to life and godliness, Second Peter 1.3 says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life and through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Ephesians 1.3 tells us, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with heavenly, in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now, I need to make progress, but I'm only going to make progress as I recognize that I, I do it as I move toward my position in Christ. Who I am in Jesus, what I have in Jesus makes me develop, not what I do or what I've developed on my own. It's a lifelong journey. Um, I mean, I started preaching at a young age, but I in no way, shape, or form thought even back then I knew more than some of the people who I was even pastoring. I recognized that. I mean, I started church work when I was 19. Uh, I had been doing, I started preaching. My first sermon was 12. I was licensed uh, to preach at 17. I'd been preaching since 15 pretty regularly doing youth revivals. I was singing. I was preaching here around in the Tulsa area. Sometimes I'd go and sing something, and then they'd find out I'd preach. They'd ask me to come back preach. Sometimes I'd preach. They'd find out I'd sing. They'd come back sing. And so I did this for a number of years. 
uh, so that by the time that I began full-time Christian service at 19, I'd been doing it for four or five years. It wasn't like I, I couldn't practice. Uh, I know I went to OBU and, and they had these ministerial uh, Sundays where they'd send out four or five guys into an association and they would come to churches and they'd preach, you know, on youth day, you know, some kind of deal. And I can't tell you how many years that I would be in a group and they'd say, has anybody ever preached before? They'd be, you know, getting these young men ready and, you know, I'd raise my hand and there'd be like maybe one or two others and nobody had, some of them hadn't even preached. They were at OBU to learn how. And that just blew me away. You know, <laughs> you're asking some guy to preach and he's never done it before. This will be exciting. I want to know what this is going to like. And, you know, they would come to me and sometimes they'd go, hey, we've got 25 minutes. Can you cover that? I said, I can cover 45 minutes, 25 minutes, 35 minutes. Just tell me how long you want me to talk and I'm good. You know, I had that down. But at 17, at 19, at 21, I didn't think that I knew more than some of the people that I pastored in the pew. I was smart enough to know I wasn't there yet. I don't know that I'm even there yet now. I I, I learn things from people all the time. I'm still developing and still growing and still maturing in Jesus. I need to know that my progress is a lifelong journey. Number four, the master key, so to speak, to spiritual growth, if you want to think of it that way, is back there at 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The master key to spiritual growth is giving glory to God. Period. That's it. I bring God glory. My life brings God glory. Giving glory to God is the spiritual development. I point people to him. Uh, what's the purpose of life? <laughs> that people come to know Jesus. If I don't bring people to Jesus at some point, I've failed. I can know everything about Jesus. I can know commentaries. I can know languages. But if I don't get people to an awareness of Jesus is and allow them the opportunity to make that life-changing decision, I failed in my job. They need to know him. Master key to spiritual growth is giving glory to God, and therefore it is essential to understand what that means. A, what does it mean? I think illustrations. Let me give you some illustrations. First, let's look at some some things that help us, I think, to pick out what that means. I think everything exists for the purpose of glorifying God. I have this book about catechisms, and my my, uh, grandmother was Lutheran. And so I've got her catechism, and I've got all these the ones over the years. And so there are a lot of things that people have said about what we believe. That's here's You teach your kids what they believe. Uh, you know, Baptists say we don't have that. We just have uh, some agreed things we adhere to. Uh, but let me give you something from the Westminster Catechism that might help. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to joy him forever. If you ever heard that, you probably heard it in a lot of religions that are Christian religions, that that really is why we are here. Psalm 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The words from that catechism aren't necessarily untrue because it comes from a text like this. That the very 
heavens declares glory, the assumption is we will too. If it's their purpose to show and direct people to God, I should do the same thing. The angels glorify God. And that what they said when they were here? At Christmas we'll talk about it. We'll sing about it. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace to men of goodwill. Luke 2.14. The saints in heaven glorify God. Revelation tells us that then history's climax when all the saints are there in heaven together. They will sing a great song giving glory to God. And you can read in Revelation 5. 8 through 14 about that. We studied that before when we studied in the book of Revelation. B, responses to God's glory. One response to the glory of God, I think, is is condemnation. God's judgment falls on the entire human race because of our failure to give him glory, to try to take it for ourselves. I mean, that's why heaven split. Somebody was trying to take God's glory. Um. In the garden, somebody was trying to take God's glory. You can be like God, the snake, the devil told Eve. Romans 1, 21 says, although they, the people knew, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks. All people knew that God was God through their conscience. And since what made it known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, Romans 1, 19 tells us. They also knew that through creation it was revealed. For since creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, Romans 1.20. Instead, the Bible says in Romans 1.23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made that look like mortal man, birds and animals and reptiles. They invented idolatrous systems of religion and they took the glory of God. I think when people abandon that, they don't develop. It's the condemnation of God that falls on them. Corinthians says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we who unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which come from the Lord who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3.18. At the end of verse 18, the Holy Spirit energizes our growth when he, the Bible says, Spirit gives life in 2 Corinthians. And that's an aspect of our life. I think C, we should see the rejection of God's glory. Nothing is more important to God than his glory. Isaiah 48, 11 says, I will not yield my glory to another. He's very serious about it. In Daniel 4.30, Nebuchadnezzar said, It is not this, the great Babylon I have built with the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Well, you know what happened there. It all fell apart. Verse 31 says, the, the words were on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And it was. You read through, and we can spend some more time on it, but I think our time gets toward the end faster than I'd like. Read in Daniel 4 about Nebuchadnezzar's story if you want to do some referring later to what happened to him. 
But at the end of verse 34, it says, At the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, and I honored to glorify him who lives forever. He got in his right mind after he chewed some grass, figured out what was going on. Pardon me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> I was sorry. I knew that was going to happen. Romans 128 says that when people fail to glorify God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. It's the hardening of the heart, the Old Testament Pharaoh thing. Because God's glory is so important, we have to focus on that glory to grow spiritually. Quickly, five, the progression of spiritual growth. Uh, as you look through this, there is a progression and in 1 John, it, we're referred to as either children or young people or mature. And so those really are the three things I want to look at quickly. Uh, the first level of spiritual growth is children. We find that in Revelation, in, in verse 13 of, of 1 John uh, 2. I write to you, dear children, literally babies, if you read the word in, in uh, uh, Greek, um, because you have not known the Father. They're developing. The first thing a child recognizes are his parents. A brand new Christian realizes that he's a child of God and not much else. I'm happy I'm a Christian. I'm happy I'm saved. But doesn't know a whole lot else until he's taught. The next level of spiritual growth is young men. John writes, I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Verse 13. Satan's the evil one. We know that. How do you overcome Satan? Verse 14, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. They've learned the word of God and it gives them the authority and the power to overcome. They don't just know the Father, they know the word. That's why it's so important to memorize and, and take that word into you. So spiritually, children have the word of God abiding in them, but consequently, they can be blown about by every thought the Bible tells us. And so we need to grow in that. Ephesians tells us in 4.14. Then John says there's the deepest level. I write to you in verse 13, he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. It's the one thing that you belong, it's one thing that you belong to the family of God, that you know the word of God. It's another that you know him intimately, <clears throat> deeply, that you've developed something with God that took time, effort, and a commitment. We go back to that word again to develop that. So <clears throat> I want you to think with me. Romans 11.36 says, From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory both ever and amen. As you focus on the glory of God over the next few weeks, I want you to think about yourself and here. Um, think about he is worthy. In Revelation, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all of them that is in them saying to him who sets on the throne and the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. One day, you will be there and you will say, Glory, just like everybody else. Will you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we come to you at this moment and ask you to help us as we look over the next few weeks in developing our spiritual maturity, growing in the grace of the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to see the steps that we've looked at today to refine them so that they can be what we need. We lay this before you and ask you to help us with it. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.